0: Podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me is Tom. Yo. And Max. Hello. Oh. <laughs> this week, we're looking at a Jurassic Park style rebirth for everyone's favourite wrecks. We'll walk through the pros and cons of three of the numerous entrants to the Cars Guide garage this week, and we'll catch up with one of the world's most high profile pill poppers in <coughs> Musquatch. So stay with us. But first of all, we, as usual, thankfully, had some feedback. And last week we were talking about the GR Corolla. But first off, Matt Murdoch, who was a commenter last week, we were theorising about where that name comes from. And he said, I can't believe you gave away my crime-fighting identity. (laughs) And um, G-Man, who actually commented on uh, comments at Cars Guide, said Matt Murdoch is the daytime name of Marvel's Daredevil. So um, I think we'd tweak right. that, and Mr. Pritchard put in a, um, a little super to that effect on last <laughs> week's podcast. But he says, on another note, the GR Corolla, could it be a hybrid with an electric motor to drive the rear wheels like the RAV4? And I would have thought that would be every chance of happening. Um, yeah. We've talked about it having the three-cylinder engine, the same kind of power package. But the drivetrain, I would have thought that's a real chance.
1: Yeah, I think that's how the Yaris GR is, isn't it? it doesn't yeah, have the electric yeah. rear axle, and it makes perfect Absolutely. sense that they would just plonk the Corolla body on top of that same architecture if it's ready to go. You
2: bet. Really cool um, progression of Toyota's hybrid tech, too, to see that happen. I, yeah. I really like that idea of making it all-wheel drive, but also keeping a bit of balance by having the ice in the front and electric yeah. in the back. It's cool. Yeah, I
0: know. I know. Yeah. It's very appealing. And I suppose the challenge for Gazoo would be to give the Corolla something extra, a kind of plus alpha factor um, to, to, because it's the bigger sibling to make it a, a little special, I suppose. So that could be a nice surprise to come.
1: Now, JC, in last week's episode, you said you were driving behind a Corolla ZR and they're pretty rare to see. And yeah. I agree, like you don't see that many ZRs around. But one thing I will say, because I was driving the Ford Focus ST recently I think the Corolla ZR's rear spoiler is more aggressive than the Focus ST's rear spoiler. Yeah, they're, right. They're, they're quite different in their intent. So yes. I think this GR Corolla is going to take it to a new level when it comes to aero outlandishness, oh, which we've come to
0: expect from Toyota in these, these modern times. Well, I mean, the other thing is that, I mean, in recent times, Corolla has been a pretty straight-laced kind of model. But in its back catalogue, there are some fantastic Corollas, not, mm. not to mention, you know, AE86 and, and various others. But so Corolla, um, it's about time, is all I can yeah. say, that it, it makes a comeback in this wasn't, way.
1: Wasn't there a Japanese one, the Blade? Is it Blade or Blaze that's got a V6 engine? Yeah, In, right. a, in a regular Corolla hatchback? Like, <laughs> insane.
0: I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, but look, the other thing G-Man says, I love that name, G-Man, um, another great show it says, I need to check out the YouTube version more and more these days. So he's obviously a, a listener rather than a viewer. Yep. Any chance of a visual highlights instead on YouTube and the full version on the podcast? Now, I think we try to cater to all audiences. Yep. Um, a lot of people do listen and a lot of people do watch. Um, I suppose it's just every now and then we throw to something. It's visual. We do our best to describe what we're talking about. And yep. I think for the time being, we'll stick to that, that formula to create another highlights package really isn't feasible, but it's great that you're listening and feeling the need to get onto YouTube as well, G-Man.
1: Well, Mr. Pritchard has to have only so much time that he can commit to doing the podcast. I mean, he's shopping online for his outlandish outfits all the, all the rest of the time. So, Precisely,
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, um, a person we know well, Peter Panousis, who was our lucky oh, yeah? bugger that, that joined us for our uh, as a prize winner on the podcast. He uh, joined us for a comparison test uh, towards the end of last year, I think it was. He says, another great episode, I think Toyota's Mr. trick. The Toyota Gazoo Yaris sounds better to me than the GR Yaris. Still hanging to see it when it arrives on our shores. So he's doing a bit of um, product planning and, and name planning there.
2: <laughs> I can't help but feel like Gazoo, it sounds like a little annoying instrument that your kids play, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah well, that's true. But, I mean, there was a character in the Flintstones, of course, called the Great Gazoo, who mm. was a Martian. So he kind of proved... <laughs> preempts all the conspiracy theorists that think, you know, in prehistoric times, uh, Martians had come and done things on Earth, blah, blah, blah. The great Gazoo, yeah, check him out. Um, Neza says, the Yaris sounds like a go-kart rocket, but I'm struggling to see who it's marketed for. What do you gents think? And and all I can say is that hot hatches, since really they started to fire up in the 70s with uh, like 205 Peugeots and, and GTI Golfs, there's been a pretty steady market of people, mainly younger people, that probably don't have any family commitments, that, that want um, a conventional car. But with that kind of performance, I think there's, there'd be a ready market for it here. Yep, definitely. Um, it's, it's one of those markets
1: that is eternal, I think. Since yeah. its inception, um, there's always going to be someone who wants a little fun hatchback that's powerful and enjoyable to drive. I think that's just going to be a thing forever. Um, We're seeing different brands move in different directions with it, obviously with like Peugeot with the E208. So it's the now the top spec 208 model in Europe is an electric car. And that still offers the fun factor. If you read the reviews of that car, it sounds like it's a very fun car to drive uh, and lives up to the GTI of the previous 208 era. Um, So it's, it's going to keep happening and it's going to keep evolving, I think.
2: I think it's interesting to see in our market as well, that small car segment is really declining. And yet manufacturers still bring us the hot hatch version in, in some cases. So, you know, Ford, Ford bring in the Fiesta only in ST guys. And um, look, makes you wonder if all of those cars sort of do disappear from our market, will we actually get any hot hatches anymore at all? And then, yeah. uh, you know, the other side of that is, you know, or will we just get the get the hot hatch version? That's it. From all
0: I suppose it's a way of squeezing a little bit of profit margin out of that small car market because typically it's so thin in terms of trying to make some coin. Um, but also, it is a specialised area that mm. I think will linger for a bit longer than, than you might think.
1: Well, also, I think the, it might evolve into the hot small SUV. As mm. the go-to, oh, yeah. and yeah. so like you'll have a. Um, there's supposed to be a CHR GR as
0: well, correct? And or a, or a, a Lancer Evo as a but as a uh, SUV.
1: Yeah, Co- like,
2: Kona N. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm
1: in the. I'm in a Honda HR-V RS, which. Uh, the RS should mean really sporty, but it doesn't.
0: Uh, it doesn't have, much, doesn't have much performance, Matt. That's the no, thing. No,
1: not quite so much, but it has the look, <laughs> and that's what a lot of people just yeah. want. So, All
0: right. Well, look, John Gibson says, um, he's probably heir to the guitar fortune, says large hatches are ridiculous-looking things. I'd rather wait for that all-new hot uh, Yaris hatch coming out. But then he talks about the straight standard uh, cooking variety, he said the five-door Yaris was joining us in May. Now we're told it's August. And he says, I'm most disappointed. He is most <laughs> disappointed. Um, so what's your mail on that, M4? Have you heard anything on timing for that car? I know that that timing is about right, that it's shifted
1: back a okay. little bit. There's, there's been um, a fair bit of demand for that car. And obviously, they're running out the stock of the existing model, um, which has been on sale for too long. Um, yep. so it'll, is there
0: a horse in the background? Are you yes, near in, some kind of attic
1: the, there? I am <laughs> in the country oh, just over there. Yeah. There's a horse <laughs> just there. Uh, so, <laughs> it is, uh, it's one of those things that I think is, um, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of time before we get that new Yaris and it, it, it can't come soon enough, but then again, yep. in that, in that segment, it is fading away to nothingness. Uh, um, yes. so yeah. I think yeah. that, well, a new Yaris is always going to do well. So it's yes. a, it's a
2: tough segment, but I, I actually, that car is sort of more or less out, I think in Japan now. And, uh, I had the opportunity to actually go and sit in one, at, in their little, uh, display in a diver and, um, yeah, it looks and feels great. I think, I think it's going to be a winner when it does come here. Um, the question is price because, as yeah. we know, that segment, it's so price competitive more so yeah. than pretty much anything else. Like, it's me- mega penny pinches,
0: you know. Tom, Tom, I thought you were going to say you just it was on the street and you just pushed someone aside, jumped in the yeah. car and got a sat yeah. in it, you know, yeah. I know you're pretty, you're pretty keen. Now, yeah. Andre Vaudieu says, yeah. look, he's a European, but he's been living in Australia for some time. Um, was back there recently and saw the Corolla wagon. Um, and he'd love to see a hot Corolla wagon. And oh, I yeah. think that's a, that's a pretty good idea. Um, mm-hmm. And he also compliments me on saying his name almost perfectly. So thank you very much. Also. Andre Vigia. Andre, Andre, Andre Vigia. Andre
2: so cultured, JC. <laughs>
0: okay. Now, last week, we also touched, obviously, on the cars that were in the garage. And Steve Corby had been in a KN turbo, I think, a hybrid, Turbo SE hybrid, um, something like that. Anyway, David Burt said he loves the trim on the KN Turbo S. Even if the Twirig looks more attractive, every car should have the option of the Holden 1970s houndstooth David Jones trim. (laughs) And, And I actually, that put me in mind of the original 928. The first 928 Porsche had what they call the Pasha trim, which was psychedelic, really. When you looked into the car and looked at the seat, you started suffering from vertigo because um, the op- optical illusion wanted to make you fall into the car. Like a magic eye um, poster. <laughs> yeah, and for those on YouTube, we'll have a picture of that um, up for you to have a look at. But then Chesto was in the Pathfinder, and 88 MTB 88 says, Nissan Pathfinder with nine-speed auto will be great. All we need to do is get Subaru Forester to have a similar gearbox. Mm. So I don't, un- I don't understand the Pathfinder... Um, Outback, uh, Forrester, sorry, connection. But anyway, sure. I think he um, just hates CVTs and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. He's fair not alone. So then uh, David Burt, who is a serial commenter and he's in fact called himself out by bracketing comment two um, to preface <laughs> this one. The pathfinder has lost its way. It once was a well-regarded four-wheel drive, a likely Prado competitor. It's now more kluger than Prado, a family hauler rather than trailblazer. And that, that happens, doesn't it? I mean, models do move and morph and evolve in different ways. You could say that it's found a different
1: path, J.C. But that, <laughs> that whole the whole point of it was that previously Pathfinder was the SUV based off Navarra. Now there's a new one called Terra, which we don't uh, get in Australia. Or there was talk that we were going to get it, but we don't get it yet. Or maybe we'll never get it. Uh, yeah. But Pathfinder. If, has been... if they if they did a night package, would it be the night Terra? I guess it would. Yeah. Wouldn't that be perfect, though? (laughs) (laughs) The Plumfinder evolved to be a US uh, specialist sort of model with the the bigger body, the seven-seat practicality, the focus on having petrol engines and that sort of thing. There is a hybrid as well, which, I don't know, we've never driven one, I don't think. But it's a a bit of a weird uh, offering. But I think that's just where uh, these brands have moved. What do you reckon, Tom? Yeah, it's an
2: unfortunate uh, reality that we're a tiny, tiny blip on most brands' sales radars, and that means we're the kind of uh, beholden to other markets. And we've seen Toyota, uh, Nissan, and uh, Mazda sort of move towards that US market with big monocoque petrol-powered SUVs. And you know, we're just going to have to be beholden to that going forward. It is a shame we don't get the terror though, because it's not sold far away. Thailand, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean. I always look at the US market and the SUVs that we could get that we don't get, like the Honda SUVs and the Ridgeline Ute and also the Subaru, mm-hmm. the biggest Subaru SUV. Like, there's Ascent. so many so many models that we could get that would do well here, but they're just not made in right-hand drive yes. for us. So. Well,
0: that's, I mean, also to Tom's point, we are a small market. So yeah. to bring a car in with everything that goes with it, like service training and parts inventory and, and all of that stuff, it's a big call unless you can make enough sales to to make it pay.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. All right, now, Thunder 250. Thunder 250 uh, has said he's having a discussion with one of his mates. Thunder drives a 2000 Liberty wagon, and his friend drives a dual-cab 05 Triton, and they're constantly debating which one's more practical, which one's more fun. So Thunder 250 believes that a wagon is the better bet. More practical, more fun. He prefers it wants to know what we think and all I can say is I'm a big wagon fan really like a conventional wagon as opposed to an SUV but my first car ever was an HG Belmont ute and it was without doubt the best car and I found it came down actually from Nauru it had been used on some mining thing in Nauru and I owned it for a few I owned it for a few years I only ever had to put a little bit of uh, coolant and some fuel and oil in it. It was just the best. And it was one of those things where you go, how did I ever survive not owning a ute? Because <laughs> it was just so practical and so much fun. I absolutely loved it. But what do you guys reckon?
1: Well, I've owned
0: a ute. Uh,
1: I owned a KB Holden Rodeo ute, which was a mini truck. Uh, yep. Lowered, looked mad. Um, ah. But <laughs> I, I've also owned, I think nine wagons wow. so i'm very much a, nine, a wagon guy Yeah. Um, so i'm i'm totally in in camp wagon for this argument
2: Uh, I think it's really interesting that he's really struck to the heart of Australia's car market issue right here, right? (laughs) you got so many people going to dual-cab utes and, you know, and there's that enthusiast aspect as well, you know, talking about fun. It's a certain kind of fun. It's like with a wagon, it's, yeah, you can have heaps of fun on the road, you know, but you also got that practical body style. With the ute, it's like you can go off-road, you can... Um, you know, it's an enthusiast truck. It's a work truck. It can do everything. And that's why they're so popular now. I've never yep. owned a dual cab, but I have owned a wagon. I, I had a, a Volvo XC70. It was a hand-me-down from my parents. And I love that thing. It had the, um, the five-cylinder turbo engine. It was a, it was a blast. I don't another one actually.
0: Yeah. Yes. Hand-me-down from the parents. Yes, Thomas, you may have the Volvo. from now on. <laughs> <laughs> It was not in great uh,
2: condition. I'll have you. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> All
0: right. Um, now, Thunder 250 followed in with another comment about the Levante Trofeo, which was the launch edition that I'd been driving last week. And it's a very, it was a very luminous yellow. It was a multi-layer process colour that gives it that incredible depth. And he reckoned that he'd seen some Levantes around, though, typically black or some dark colour. And he was very enthused that this yellow one made it look like an expensive Italian car should, as in loud. And I've got to agree with him, uh, agree with him. So thank you, Thunder. Now, we also sparked off a massive AU Falcon conversation, which is always a great one to start. So Millen Rogers, we'd tweet that Millen was talking about Falcons and noticed that the XR badge, his picture on YouTube, looked suspiciously like an AU-era XR badge. And he said, yeah, you guys sort of guessed it. I used to own a Series 3 AU XR6, but now he's got a Commodore VF2 SS, which is very odd. He says... I'm a Ford guy, but still love and respect Holden's. Wow. And he says, except for VTs. <laughs> right. So then David Birch chimed in and said, that's classic. It's just the classic Commodore versus Falcon thing. HQ Kingswood versus XA Falcon, VB versus XD, VN versus EA. And so Millen came back and said, yeah, look, I'm just one of those rare people that do like Commodores. He likes the VL. He likes the VN. He's still a Ford guy, but he says the EA was, quote, just pure garbage. And, (laughs) And I do recall back when the EA Falcon was launched, I was working on Motor Magazine, and there was a shot of the EA when it was being presented publicly for the first time at the Melbourne Motor Show. And the sign behind it said something like, quality is job number one or something like that. And the U in quality had half fallen down and was just hanging off the word. And I think it was a portent of things to come. So, you know, whether Millen was talking about the quality of the car dynamically or the quality of the car uh, build-wise, um, mm. there you go. Um, Hammer Rocks came in and said, look, I agree with Millen Rogers. The AU Falcon's a great-looking car. When viewed from the inside, runs and hides. That's what, that's what he said. Um, CGV, the very fast train, says the mighty AU Falcon made long rule on Aussie roads. And it turns out he owns uh, an AU Falcon XR8 Series 3 with the hand-built Tickford 4.9-litre V8, five-speed with the double wishbone IRS. Like, wow, wow what a car. Yeah. He says the last true Aussie Falcon. Ah, um, right. And John Gibson came back at him and said that he had an XC Fairmont with that V8. And then TGV says he's also got an XE Fairmont Gear ESP 4.9 oh, wow. um, hanging out near shed, but it's got broken door handles, lots of rust. It's um, you know, in need of some love and attention. But he points to the fact that that 302 was made in Geelong and Australia was the only place where it was made. So um, good on him. Great yeah. AU discussion. Now, <laughs> Pranav, Pranav Shroti... Uh, said that he got a glimpse of the Merc, the Merc that I own in this garage. He wanted to know a little bit more about it. I won't bore everyone too much, but I've owned it for 20-odd years, and, and um, I know that I've got its birth certificate, its data card from the factory um, in Stuttgart, and it was, it's an Australian-delivered car, um, and it had factory air conditioning and all of that great stuff. But he wanted to see if there was anything else in the garage. I'll just take the liberty of showing you the family truck star which is our family transport, and talk about wagons. Um, that's a W211 um, seven-seat wagon, and we've yes. had that. Our, our technique is to buy a 10-year-old Merc wagon and keep it for about 10 years. So it's about to come to the end of its lifespan in this garage, <laughs> but it's, it's been a very good car. What's and next, JC? Now, it is, says nice tool in the, <laughs> in the shed, JC, and you'll notice there is a large spanner against the wall over there, you scared it might land on your Merck. It's, um, it's not something that was used in the construction of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It was actually <laughs> a photographic prop um, that was used on a magazine that I used to work for. So that one, Eddie. Now, awesome. in general, in general, ScanSpeak double O says, please fix the terrible audio with some proper microphones. Thanks. Thanks. Um, to which I would say I think I'm possibly at fault there. I had a, a jacket on last week where the mic was tapping it, and I do apologise for that. It must have been very annoying. But over and above that, we're doing this remotely. We're doing it as best we can, and I'm sorry if the audio isn't perfect. We do normally do it in a studio, um, and we just we just give it our best. So there you go, Scan. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> mate. Um, now, Thunder 250, he says, comment number three, Um uh, He's highly curious about motoring journalism and the process behind it. I'm just wondering what happens during the week from the time you get a car to the time you return it. And look, I find I get the car, come home, have a bit of breakfast, try to spend time with the kids, have a decent week, be nice to people. That's what I do between picking it up and taking it back. But... um, I think in short, I'm sure I'm like you guys, I do have a standard kind of a drive route where I will take these cars. So you get some kind of yardstick in terms of fuel economy, braking, uh, dynamics, comfort, a varied kind of drive that gives you consistency in the way that you're assessing these cars. Am I right?
1: Yeah, yep, pretty much hundred percent, you know you've if you're not testing over similar or the same roads each time, then, your testing procedure is probably a little bit out of whack. Um, obviously, mm. things change in your lives and uh, you might not be able to do the exact same thing every time. Um, yeah. but it's, it's the impetus is on the reviewer to try and replicate as close as they can each time to make sure that they're being consistent in their reviews. In, you know, it might not be exactly the same... For what I do compared to what Tom does or what you do, JC. But the it's our job to make sure that we are as consistent as we can be in our assessment, in our reviews of each of these different cars across different criteria. So, yes.
2: And there are certain vehicles, I think, that you know you you want to apply a specific maybe procedure to. Maybe you want to like you know electric cars. Maybe you want to range test them. Um, You know, if you've got more of a performance car, maybe you want to take it on a bit of a twisty road or something. But um, yes. Yeah, you just want, definitely want to make sure that you sort of play to that car's strengths or weaknesses as well.
0: I think the I think the other challenge that we all face is that we have to step outside ourselves and think about the people that are going to be shopping for that particular kind of car. Yeah. So as a you know, as a, a wage earning journo, you're driving an expensive car, it's, it's in the luxury <laughs> segment, let's say. You have to remember that this is just a, a car that someone's shopping for. It might yeah. be expensive as far as you're concerned. But for the person who's ultimately going to buy it, it's just time to buy a car. Yeah. So you have to assess it in terms of its practicality and performance and all of those things that you normally would. So just to assume that mindset is sometimes part of, of the challenge. Yeah, as and well, I- uh,
2: people might be coming out of a 10, 20-year-old car and, you know, things that we take for granted, Apple CarPlay, uh, inbuilt sat-nav, uh, auto safety features, you know the presence of any of those items will still be amazing to yeah. people coming out of those cars. So you could kind of to around yourself and say, Oh, it's missing this, this, that, the other, but also, you know, if you are coming out of, one of those cars, it's still going to be great.
1: Yeah. And I've, I've made that point in a recent review, uh, if you're coming out of a ten-year-old uh, used Commodore or something, and you're jumping into a brand new MG ZS, for example, you might think, "Wow, this has got everything I could possibly ever have wanted." Or if you're, you know, if you're looking to buy a Range Rover, um, like I did the SV autobiography dynamic a couple of weeks ago, which is three hundred and sixty thousand dollars, it's hard to get your head into that space. Where sure. You go, where? What else would I? be thinking about if i'm buying a car like this but yes. you've got that's our job you know we've got to i think i think
0: i think an expression of that was um shout out to a, a, a john crawford he he was a person who at one point was public relation public and customer relations manager for Daewoo. and he oh. said he'd never had a tougher job because most people buying a Daewoo were coming out of a used car it was their first ever new car and they actually expected it to be perfect So the customer relations role was really difficult because Daewoo was a car built to a price and Mm -hmm. specified to a price, and yet people's expectations were through the roof. So understanding people's expectations as well can be quite tricky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, also moving on, John Schroeder, he he had a lot to say about the potential for an F-150 Ford coming to Australia. Um, He said, look, there are tracks in the outback that simply won't be wide enough for it. He also said the GPS better be pre-programmed for fuel stops um, along the way, unless you go for the upcoming electric version. Um, And then in terms of the Maverick, he just thinks downsizing for people with a healthy ego uh, probably won't compute. He doesn't see it working too well. So I thought that was an interesting insight too. You'd have to pitch that car in a particular way. And I know Ford has the Bronco coming as well, which will be very much a lifestyle kind of truck. So it'll all be in the marketing spin as much as it is in the actual product.
1: Yeah, 100%. You know, like, there's no doubt in my mind that there is a market for a smaller uh, pickup truck-style vehicle. But marketing it
0: right will be the key. Yes, yeah. And, look, to finish off on the comments, Hammer Rocks came back with a second uh, comment. He liked the Roadrunner joke from last week. (laughs) And he thinks it's the best one to date, in fact, which is very nice. (laughs) And he'd like to know where he can submit jokes for our perusal. And that would be comments at carsguide.com.au. Yes. All you've got to do is send an email and um, we'll suss out whether it meets our very high standards. So thank, <laughs> you. thank you, Hammer. Now, we'll move on to the main subject that we want to talk about today, which is a car that a lot of people have had some kind of connection with, whether they've owned it, longed for it, or had a friend who's owned one. It's the WRX, and specifically the high-performance STI version, And we've had some mail Um, on the new one which looks like it'll be into 2021 before it arrives but it's going to be lighter and it's going to have a different engine and be more powerful than everything that you would hope it's going to be yeah well can we wait no we can't wait (laughs) (laughs) so so (laughs) globally i think we're talking october 2021 which would put it actually here you'd imagine very late that year or early in 2022. And our very own Andrew Chesto Chesterton has been digging up a lot of the details. And he says it's going to be a 2.4 litre turbo. And that engine would be sourced from the Ascent SUV, which is sold in the US where it develops a relatively modest 190 kilowatts um, and less than 400 newton metres. But it will get things like a reinforced crank and pistons, some different valve gear, work on the intake side of the engine, um, the timing, the boost pressure. And his uh, mail is that it'll be up close to 300 kilowatts and just under 500 newton metres by the time it arrives. Wow. And it, it's going to be about 25 kilograms lighter than the existing car um, with a heap more power, like the, the existing car, 221 and 407. So a lot more grunt in a lighter car And he says, you know, with that in mind, the current car is about 5.2 seconds, 0 to 100. This one will probably be a sub-five-second car, 0 to 100. So that's pretty exciting. It'll also stretch a bit. It'll be over 4.6 metres long, and the wheelbase will get longer as well. So lots of interesting news on that. And do we know Uh,
1: anything about transmissions? Are they going to just stick with a manual or is there any word on whether they'll do
0: uh, CVT again? Uh, no, no word on that. Interesting, though, that when Chesto was at the Tokyo Motor Show last year, um, Subaru Australia's managing director, Colin Christie, hmm. said to him when, when asked about this upcoming car, he said, quote, from what we've seen, what Subaru will put together is going to be a fantastic product. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's already well down the path. It would have been frozen in terms of its design and probably its powertrain, um, so it's a known quantity. It'd be in development and testing now. Mm. So yeah, the transmission question—I don't know. We can yeah. put that. We can put that to Chester and see if he's heard anything. But f- for mine, um, a CVT, mm. no matter how good it is, when you're in an all-wheel drive performance car like that, I, I don't see it as a natural marriage. Mm. But um, anyway, you go. You guys may differ, but I, I just don't see it as a good fit, as it were. No. I'm with you as well. What do you think, Tom?
2: Yeah, I think uh, they're gonna have to do something. It's, you know, dual clutch, <laughs> I think would uh, probably performance wise work the best. Um, Cause can you really see them building another torque converter, maybe sourcing a torque converter from someone else? Mm, possibly um, and there is a lot of talk of them uh Subaru that is working together with Toyota uh more in the future so uh I don't know maybe maybe we'll see something come out of that but I also talked to Colin pretty uh recently Oh um, Colin first name basis yeah that's yeah, it yes. uh, yeah, yeah
1: Cole
2: I talked yeah. to him recently at the launch of the uh, hybrid Forester and XV and he was indicating that that timing you know that kind of bracket is about right you know late 2021, yes. uh, early 2022. And you've got to think, how old
0: is the current car going to be by then? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Mr Christie, I'm sure, is is perfectly <laughs> right in that, Tom. But, but the, 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 the thing that stands out to me is that the engines in Rexes, and particularly SDIs, typically have not been linear in the way they deliver their um, outputs. And I yep. think that's a Subaru trait that buyers like. You know, yeah. you get that rush of acceleration as the turbos spool up. I'm sure yeah. Subaru could smooth that out if it wanted to, but they choose not to because it gives you that extra rush of excitement. So yeah. the transmission or gearbox that you choose to marry up to it is all the more important because you want it to be able to cope with those particular engine characteristics. And a CVT that tends to accentuate the, a kind of slurry, stay in the sweet spot nature, I just mm. don't know whether that's the right right way to go.
1: Yeah, well, having driven the current WRX with the CVT uh, a while ago, um, it it is a bit of an excitement sapper, uh, and the manual still is going to be the pick for 90% of people who want to buy a WRX. Um, I had a WRX way, way, way back, uh, about 10 years ago, and I loved it because of that, that uh, character that you're talking about it was manual it was a yeah. it was a uh a wagon uh the hatchback Yay, wagon nice.
0: version. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: and it was such a good car i miss it so much and i keep looking at uh the values of those wrx's those mine was a 98 uh that 98 99
0: era uh, wrx period is whew,
1: expensive yeah, Matt, these Matt, days
0: <laughs> you're constantly assessing the value of pretty much every car in the used car market that is, yes. that is part of what <laughs> you do yes I love cars. Oh, I mean, you. Are, what can I say? <laughs> you are your own resale guide. People may as well just give you a call or text you when they're looking for values. Yeah, but, I'll, but I'll put my number in the description. Well, <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe there's a, a little uh, business opportunity for you there, Matt. You can do Matt's Guide, and it's like a book of oh, your used yeah. car values and
0: yeah. No, it's it's just it's just called the Matt. Yeah, yeah. You know, and everyone everyone refers the whole industry just refers to the Matt. <laughs> yeah, um, But the, it's interesting you mentioned your WRX, Matt, because that's also coming, of course. So the STI version has to be based on something. Mm. Um, and the WRX is looking like July 2021. Um, and once again, Chesto's mail is that it will move from a 2-litre, which currently delivers a bit under 200 kilowatts, um, to a 1.8-litre turbo lean burn engine. And, and there isn't any even whispers really about what it's going to produce. But we were talking earlier about the GR Yaris, and that shows how much can be milked out of a a small capacity engine, only three cylinders in that case. So the WRX, I reckon, will be a fantastic uh, package too. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, I mean, like even the previous Peugeot 308 GTI had almost 200 kilowatts from a 1.6. So it's going to be, I imagine, the 1.8 in the new WRX is going to have 200 minimum. Yes. Um, and at probably around the four
0: hundred newton meter mark as well. So exactly. Oh, it's, Which it's is a, plenty. I mean, oh, yeah. it wasn't all that long ago that V eights were were, you know, struggling to put out four hundred newton meters. Yeah. Or it was a it was a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's extraordinary, really.
2: Yeah, it's great. And Subaru have pegged a lot of their uh, upcoming uh, sort of product plan on this engine. And they think what this engine will do will actually bridge the gap between uh current state of combustion engines and the next generation of hybrids so if you look at their sort of product plan where things uh, overlap uh this engine is meant to last for the next sort of five ten years and then you've got everything hybrid or electrified from there on
0: so presume i presume tom you have the subaru product plan then because you're knowing where everything is fitting in that's a very handy document if you they, know, share that Cole, around. Cole's be...
1: a good mate. So. So they, <laughs> the old they gave CC, us, coughs they gave
2: us a, uh, a slide that came out of Subaru Japan at that uh, uh, launch, okay. and it
0: had that uh, sort of uh, catalogue of when, what what, happened, what was happening where and what overlaps. Got you. So. Got, you. Got you. And, I mean, and we, we wrote another uh, news story just recently that touched on not only the WRX, but we've already spoken in recent podcasts about 400Z. Uh, or 400Z for our American listeners, um, as an upcoming thing, this time with, you know, V6 turbo power, probably from the Infiniti uh, Red Sport. Um, and then you think about a new 86 and BRZ, BRZ, um, which has been such a big phenomenon globally. The current model is probably going to stop being produced in July this year, and you're looking for another 18 months or so for the next generation, which been, has been confirmed. Yeah. Um, coming along, and it will have a larger but still, we believe, naturally aspirated engine. So it's maintaining that purity. We've done a go, you know, all-out turbo power kind of thing. It should still have that purity and that really lovely throttle response that you get from an aspirated engine. But it's going to be a little bit more power and a little bit more torque, slightly larger capacity, um, but still a similar nature, as it were, in in the new car. Can't wait. Another one I
1: can't wait for. I mean, the... the, (laughs) The existing 86 and BRZ or BRZ, uh, they're just such amazing, pure cars. Mm. Uh, and, you know, in a time when everything seems to be being electrified or uh, downsized, um, it's yeah. great to hear that they're thinking about going up a little bit in to- terms of engine size. Um, yes. because. I mean, we've all said it, we've all thought it, the weakest point is the power factor
0: in that so, uh, car. And so. for what are the used uh, values on, well, say, let me tell look, you. If, I were, if I were to buy, yeah, oh, sorry, okay. I'll have to get a copy of the map.
1: Yeah, look at the latest uh, Mighty Car Mods uh, video on the BRZ. So.
0: Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. so good. Now, what we're going to do now is move to cars that have been in the Cars Guide garage. And, Tom, I'd like to kick off with you, please. You have been in a Chinese, not only that, a sizable Chinese product. Tell us what you've been steering.
2: Sizable sort of only just begins to scratch the surface with this thing. (laughs) It is gigantic. And the pictures, Mm -hmm. like, you look at pictures of it and you go, oh, okay, it's an SUV. It's not. It's not an SUV. It's huge. It's Almost ridiculous. So for five meters long. it's almost... now Tell us
0: what it tell us what it is. Tom. Oh yeah. LD you haven't told us what it is.
2: <laughs> it's the LDV D90. And yeah. so I had it in twin turbo diesel form, uh, which is I think its latest iteration because it, it started out as a petrol in Australia and now we've got the uh two-liter twin turbo diesel. Um and it's it's four by four. Uh personally I think it, it makes a lot more sense as a diesel. Um, in Australia anyway. Yep. Um and yeah, it's gigantic. It's over five meters long, it's almost two meters wide, and it's almost two meters tall as well. And the way they've styled it, it almost doesn't look that way.
0: Two meters tall. Almost. It's
2: an, it's an SUV oh yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, okay. It's it's uh the exact number is uh one eight seven five millimeters. So okay. you know, you get yep. pretty close and yeah, uh yeah. some nervous moments in car parks were had. Um <laughs> And when, did, what when
0: when you were in the LDV or at some other at some other point?
2: <laughs> well, it was one of those sort of situations where you can reach out the sunroof and touch the the roof oh, of the car park. So what was um, it that
0: we were we were trying to park in the Cars Guide garage? So Ram was 1500. A, a Ram. No, yeah. I think it was a Ram twenty five hundred. Um, it might have been, yeah. And we opened up the roof just to check whether there was any clearance to get the car in. <laughs> and there was
2: about an inch in it at, at yeah. that time. Yeah. But this was yeah. kind of similar to that. You know, you'd enter a car park and you're that tall. So you've got, I don't know, less than 200 millimetres between you and the roof a, a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, the, look, the, the thing about it is it it does everything. So it has the Apple CarPlay. It has the built-in nav. It's got four by four. It's got uh, it's got all the uh, safety features, you know, and and it does everything. It just it doesn't do everything well if that makes sense it's it's kind of it's a bit goofy to drive and it sort of has this sense of uh the suspension's really soft when you're sort of pitching over things but then right. it, the, the dampers are very firm when you're going over smaller bumps so it's kind of an interesting calibration sort of thing and the same sort of thing goes for the engine and transmission like the transmission has that sort of almost old-fashioned feel of lurching through gears at times oh and, wow uh, okay. things like this but but no no problems with power from the engine there's actually a, a quite a good little engine there um and uh, the only other thing I'd add about it is that the, the software on the multimedia, it's got screens everywhere. There's a big screen on the dash and there's a big screen, you know, and the software isn't very good. Uh, yes. I'll, All right. I'll leave it at that. See the review for more. Um, I think it, it was quite an interesting thing to drive though.
0: Do, nice. do you have to understand MS-DOS in order to operate the multimedia system? <laughs>
2: uh, there were times when I thought that could have been the case, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Now, Matt, we're going to move to your good self. Yep. You've been in an SUV, but it's not a diesel and it's no. not a petrol. No, the Hyundai Kona Electric. Now, excuse me while I check my
1: notes, just so I make sure that I get the figures correct. Cool. Uh, because it has a 64 kilowatt hour battery pack in the Kona Electric. And that is good enough to give you 449 kilometres of claimed WLTP range. Yep. Now, in reality, when I picked up the car from Hyundai's headquarters in Macquarie Park, on the yep. dashboard, it said 440 kilometres. Mm. I travelled exactly 300 kilometres from there to Cowra. And the screen, uh, was Cowra is in the central west of New South Wales. Uh, yep. You know, over the mountains from Sydney. Um, yes. And it had uh, 100 kilometres, 110 kilometres of range remaining. So, it's a fairly true indication of you what range betcha. you get. Um, Yeah. And I was really impressed with the efficiency of the electric uh, motor and the way that it was using its, con- its, its
0: energy consumption. But so Matt, Matt, just I was going to say that that's doubly impressive because electric cars are kind of the inverse of pet- petrol cars in that they don't, uh, their range is compromised by long highway runs. Mm-hmm. They're better off in the city. So for you to be on the highway and it to be that accurate is pretty impressive. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was giving it everything
1: that I would give a petrol car or a diesel car in the same situation. So it was a mountain road as well. You know, Bell's line of road I took on the way there and uh, on the way back to Sydney when I returned the car yesterday, Mm. um, I went uh, over the Blue Mountains um, just down the Great Western Highway. So um, and it was funny because. You get to the top of Mount Victoria in the Blue Mountains, and it's about uh, 1,100 metres above sea level. And on the dashboard, it said 143 kilometres of range. And so I did from Mount Victoria to Penrith, which is something like 60 kilometres, uh, and I'd only lost five kilometers of battery. Yeah, range exactly. Because it's all downhill. All oh, um, the regen, the regen yeah. into the battery. Fabulous. Yeah. So, and it was using, uh, for the nerds out there, it was using about 15.1 kilowatt hours per 100Ks, which is incredibly efficient for an electric motor, uh, electric powered car. Um, a Tesla Model 3 that we did recently uh, used about 21. Um, wow. same, same with the um mercedes eqc it was about 20 so it's a pretty efficient little car um not so great is uh the price tag which is in the mid 60s um and that's always going to be uh the yeah. for a car like that and
0: it's very small yeah.
1: as well so, yeah
0: um, but it's i mean i think we've we've mentioned it before it's a bit of a flagship or a, a halo model for i mean i I don't know whether their expectation is to sell millions of them it's a statement yeah uh, this is where we are with our technology i think it's it's effective in doing that
1: it's the only um car on the market at the moment that has a pure electric and a petrol variant available so it's a great great statement apart from the ionic ionic um, which also has a plug-in hybrid so Yeah, yeah um Yeah, it's a really interesting little car, but funny, JC, you were driving something around the same price point, around the same size, but quite (laughs) different,
0: right? Uh, Definitely, definitely different. It's a Lexus UX 200 F Sport. So it's got that um, slight hint of sportiness around it. And it's a car that I'd driven and reviewed before. This time I'm looking at it from an urban perspective and actually had it for several weeks on end. Uh, And a few things emerged that didn't last time around. So it was really useful. Um, it's a 54 odd thousand dollars before you put it on the road with registration insurance and all that kind of stuff It's a two litre, um, 126 kilowatts at 6,600 r- uh, RPM and 205 newton meters, which isn't a ton of torque, mm. um, quite high at 4,800 RPM. So you've really got to lean into it. It's a CVT, but the thing I noticed this time around is that when you put it in manual mode, so-called, um, yeah. that mimics the steps of a traditional automatic transmission, it's actually really good that mm. when you when you start to use those paddles it changes the character of the car quite dramatically and i enjoyed it very much it's front wheel drive um, the ride is really nice and it handles well so you started to find it as more of an engaging drive rather than just being a kind of um, medium tier luxury car it had something to offer uh, dynamically good seating position um, a, a tricky configurable instrument cluster that does its sort of sliding business where you can unfold different screens. I really enjoyed that. But then on the, on the downside, the, the lengthier time with it, um, the tailgate, it's a mystery. There's this, the, the, button, <laughs> the button on the key fob that says press it and the tailgate will open. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Um, now, I'm possibly doing something wrong, but I don't think I was doing anything that other people wouldn't do pressing a button that says open the tailgate and an expectation that it would do that. So <laughs> that is a mystery. The remote touch interface with the media remains a teeth-grinding frustration. I won't go yeah. there again. Um, the rear room is tight for, for um, leg room. Headroom for me was pretty good, but leg room I found a little tight. Yeah. Um, and the media system also feeding you up the constant alerts about being in a school zone and obey the road rules and you're coming up with a speed camera and yep. our youngest daughter and I had to delve into the menus down about five or six deep to get to a point where we could turn most of it off but it still wanted to tell me to obey the road rules um, yeah. when I um I wasn't and look we got a flat tire <laughs> which was unfortunate um yep. it's a it's a, a run flat tire so we could drive it at maximum 80 kmh but we got a hint of the lexus encore ownership experience when the car came was picked up put on a flatbed taken away next day returned with the tire repaired so um that that was a very nice uh, kind of part of the whole experience
1: it is nice but you know how much easier would it have been if you just had a jack and, a and spare put a spare tire, tire on it. i agree <laughs> but
0: minutes. anyway uh, we better move on and it's time for musk watch <laughs> Okay, so, plenty. look, sadly, there's plenty to talk about here. First of all, um, Elon's been a bit of a jerk on Twitter, and that's nothing new. But his latest tweet is, quote, take the red pill. All right, now, is that a philosophical or a political comment? It's just a mega-loaded thing to say, because um, obviously it was a key scene in The Matrix where Neo is asked to take the red pill, blue pill, Find out what life really is, blah blah blah. But it's become shorthand for a kind of right-wing political awakening. You know that you take this red pill and you'll see the world as you really should. Yeah. So that's that's why it's loaded. Like it's about men's rights, so-called, and gender roles, and all this stuff. Uh, political stuff gets wrapped into it about big government um, controlling everything and minority groups and even anti-Semitism. It's a really nasty kind of thing. I've Sorry, got a man. question:
1: Is 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 hydroxychloroquine
0: a red pill? (laughs) It could be red. I suppose so. If if, um, the the, uh, leader of the free world was just using a bit of food colouring, it could be the red pill, even if it's not. Anyway, when he tweeted this, speaking of the Commander-in-Chief, his daughter Ivanka Trump came back with, taken, so she'd taken the red pill. Bizarre. Anyway, Lily Wachowski, who is the co-creator and co-director of The Matrix, the film that all this springs from, just said, Fuck uh, both of you um, <laughs> in, in her comment coming back to them. So um, El Elegante 101 in Twitter as well said, Keanu uh, put up a meme, which we'll have for people on YouTube, of Keanu dropping into the construct and standing next to Trumpy patting Ivanka's backside, which oh. is, I thought a really nasty but appropriate um, tying up <laughs> with that thought. Then also on Twitter he said, cancel, cancel culture. More fun, less shun. So he's having a bit of a whinge about people having a go at him. So cancel culture is, for people that don't know, and I didn't, I had to kind of do a bit of research, is when someone says something controversial that a lot of people don't agree with, social media comes back at them and more or less cancels them. Like, you can't exist as a celebrity or well-known person anymore. You should more or less be switched off. So um, Vox wrote a, a letter, a, a, an article about cancel culture um, that included um, uh, Barack Obama talking about how it's not a good thing. And Elon Musk came back and said, yeah, that's true. So almost a balancing of the political scales, if you like. Weird. But one of the other Twitter commenters, Fat Gay Vegan, said, <laughs> um, imagine being one of the richest and most influential humans on the planet but still finding time for this level of pettiness. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good comment. Um, also, a Matt, different Matt, said, has anyone seen an ad from Tesla? Probably not, which brings me to my point. Elon's Twitter account is the marketing strategy. And as the saying goes, never waste a good crisis. Elon Mm -hmm. is great, but he's an industrialist in pursuit of profit. Let's all calm down Mm -hmm. is what that person said. So, I mean, that's calling a spade a spade. Chris Orbach said, okay, then, hire Kevin Spacey to do your voiceovers, which, uh, (laughs) which I thought was a pretty telling comment too. And Huey Lewis and the Fake News said, cancel Culture Club. (laughs) <laughs> and um, John McCallum, with a, with a meme of uh, Boy George, uh, John McCallum said, that Tesla stock will tumble for you, which <laughs> I thought was, was pretty good too. Anyway, um, also The Atlantic wrote a story that's saying the cult of Elon is cracking in the face of all of these fairly controversial, uh, even more controversial comments that he's coming out with on Twitter. That I'll, and they spoke to some people that would identify as Elon Musk fans, like real fans, and a lot of them are losing uh, faith in him. Um, and one I thought that was uh, pretty interesting is Lisa Jacobson, an insurance salesperson in Wisconsin, said, I really thought Musk could be hero material. Let's face it, we're running this planet, ruining this planet, and here's a guy that's trying to find another place for us to go. Yeah. And I thought, isn't that classic? Not fix this one. No, just trash that, put it in the bin, we're going to go to Mars, and isn't it great? So, anyway, the, the um, Atlantic thinks the Musk cult is coming to a close. And then I also found a person, thanks to NPR, who has ended up with one of Elon Musk's old mobile numbers. She's, um, uh, who is she? Lindsay Tucker, a 25-year-old skincare consultant. Uh, she's in San Jose in California. She's got this number that's been allocated to her, it used to be Elon's three times a day. She gets a call or a text from someone, including in one instance, John Lasseter, who was the Walt, now disgraced Walt Disney executive, yeah. wanting to tell Elon how great his Tesla is. She and she's constantly saying, "No, I'm not Elon." They say, "Prove it." Well, I'm a woman, yeah. and they they don't believe that it's not Elon Musk. But um, I'd recommend that we'll put a link in the notes. Um, and Elon was contacted by NPR and said, "Wow." I don't believe that number's still out there. That's so old. But apparently, what he, what the theory is that what he's been doing is giving that number out to people that he doesn't want to ring him back. Um, uh, and she's had lots of people saying, but Elon gave me this number. Yeah, uh, okay. Right. I see what's <laughs> happening here. Um, anyhow, we'll finish off with the share price. $827.60. And it was $803 last week. So it continues to climb. And even though there's been a a kind of group action against the I think the stock is overpriced tweet, a judge in Delaware has said, no, I don't think that stands up. It's okay because overall, the stock price has been going up. So it may have dipped, but that I'm not going to rule or make any finding against Elon Musk. So Mm. once again, he seems to have gotten away with it.
2: I've got to say that whole thing about his uh, cult cracking. There's been a bit of a backlash recently with this coronavirus thing and there's been sort of, you know, what are the rights of the worker and all that sort of stuff. And as this has been coming out, you know, he's been tweeting all this sort of anti-union stuff and that's always been there, but people I think have glossed over
0: it for so long. And he is he, an he, old school industrialist, an old school capitalist, go. and there's no forgetting that. Yep. He, he, he copped a lot of feedback saying, allow your workers to unionize, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're right. But I think with that, we have reached the finish line. So thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Matt. Thank you. And thanks to our digital dynamo, champagne tester, and happiness advocate, Mr. Pritchard, for bringing this podcast together when we're so far apart. Today, he's in his Not Tonight Ladies t shirt, <laughs> Nicolas Cage jogging pants, and Pekka slippers. And <laughs> um, stunning as usual please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for cars guide on facebook and instagram using the hashtag cg podcast and email us including jokes at comments at and if you're an itunes listener please rate and review us and remember you can watch us on youtube but before we go my wife has no faith in my ability to repair the electric front seats in our family truckster. <laughs> Boy, is she in for a shock. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> mm. <laughs> there you go, Hammer Rocks. How about that one? <laughs> yeah. Was that from Hammer? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs>